Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. MLS kicks off this weekend, and we're going to try to identify a few players in this league, most of them young and with a high upside, who have a chance of breaking into the national team and contributing in this World Cup cycle. Whether that's in one of the three match qualifying windows or the World Cup itself, we'll leave that to fate. Just looking for some kind of contribution. Greg, how are you? Bells Bells, I appreciate that you that you just said a few players and didn't didn't like put it like nail us down to a specific number. Uh, because that is not our strength. No, is sticking to a specific number. <laughs> no, no, it's not. We, our off-air discussion has been rife with controversy. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know how many names we're going to put on here, and we haven't even really settled on how to characterize this list of names. Uh, so let's get a little meta here. One thing we're going to try to do, from my perspective, is not fall into the throw every name at the wall trap that longtime listeners will know we have sometimes fallen into. Now that's mostly me, not you, Greg, because it's because uh, Matt Hartman and Joey Antone and I did some episodes way back when, some old school scuffed episodes where we covered fifty or more young players, say in like the U twenty cycle for twenty seventeen or twenty nineteen, and uh, <laughs> even fifties conservative. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, and uh, I'm not knocking it. A lot of people listen to those episodes. I don't know how much of the episode they listen to. You know. Um, anyway, uh, you could argue there's enough young talent in MLS to warrant that sort of thing this, these days, uh, because, because there just is, there's a lot, there are a lot of players who could, who could break through, uh, but we're trying to focus on players that could actually break in to Burhalter's system in the next 12 to 18 months. And that, that bar is pretty ho- pretty high, um, at several spots on the field. Like for instance, wing. Like how we have four good wingers. We have Jordan Morris, who is not in that list of four right now because he's hurt. You have to be pretty good to break in and you have to fit. There's also the question of fit. Do you fit Berhalter's system? I think that matters a lot. Yeah, and, and you're talking about that trap of naming a bunch of guys. I'm actually I'm actually going to be uh, on your side, on the other side of this one, uh, for once, and say uh, I actually think the trap the trap here is trying to narrow it down the way we're going to try because uh, I, I think if anything, what we've seen uh, recently, and, and this is all this is all sort of uh, speculative since we since we haven't played a real competition that matters, uh, so we don't know exactly how these players are going to perform at that level. Um, but in, in sort of the fan bases in, in all of our sort of spreadsheets that we all put together of the national team, uh, I think we've seen over the last four months that that there is actually a pretty low bar to jump into the squad. I think, you know, like a Kellen Acosta, uh, who wasn't really in anyone's on anyone's radar in a meaningful way going into the December camp, mm-hmm. even as even when he was named in that camp, I don't think anyone was jumping in like, oh, Acosta's for sure, you know, gonna be a guy that, that's gonna play a big part in qualifying. Um, that was four months ago. And now I think people are like, okay, that could happen. Um, Luca De La Torre, who most people had basically written off when he wasn't playing a, a minute for Fulham for three years, uh, moves to the Eredivisie and was an every game starter, still wasn't really breaking into uh, non-Daniel Smith uh, men, like minds. Um, suddenly. <laughs> yeah, I was no, going to say, Daniel Smith deserves some credit here. <laughs> Daniel deserves a lot of credit. He's been on that the Luca De La Torre beat for faithfully. <laughs> 
I would I would watch him every once in a while because I was like, can I take this guy off of the off of the playbill? Like, is he is he really doing anything? You know, once he started playing for uh, Heracles, and I was like, I'd, I'd check his his clips out, and I was like, yeah, all right, the guy actually like plays. He's a he's a decent player, so he's not so bad or so nothing that I'm dropping him. But he never really did anything to stand out. Anyway, he comes into a camp, and now like suddenly one camp where we weren't really even sure that his name would be on the list uh, has a couple of good showings. And I think people at this point are like penciling him into the the Nations League twenty three or the you know the first qualifying window at least being a body. Uh, and so for for me, while there are some positions that are going to be very difficult to break into as a new player, uh, there are going to be other slots like that fourth number eight or maybe that backup six, uh, backup left back. That really it's just it's going to be anything goes. Like it, it's the wild wild west, and there's going to be. Uh, a huge bottleneck of you know twenty twenty five players that it wouldn't shock me if their name becomes that fourth number eight and there can only really be one or two guys that do it. Well, and then there's the question of is it is it really just a fourth number eight that we need or do we need six or seven number eights for right. some of these World Cup qualifying windows? Uh, we probably do need more than four when we have three games in uh, you know ten days or whatever it is, right? Right. So, so I promise I won't do it. We won't do it here. Uh, but I do think we could run an entire episode. That's just like the 25 players who could be the fourth number eight. And I don't think any of them would be super, super far fetched. Wow. 25. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of the names in this, uh, that I've put in here, this list is mostly mine, uh, with one very notable exception and Greg's, you know, because, because Greg, like he just explained, doesn't really believe in the whole exercise. <laughs> but um, a lot of the names are eights. So, so I guess I, that sort of squares with what you've been saying. I think, I think that's the, the most central midfield, I think, uh, in whether you're calling it the eight or the six, which I think are somewhat interchangeable, yeah. uh, not to rehash the whole Olympic qualifying thing, but I think the way we're going to be playing it will be easier to shift an eight into the six spot than to take like a pure six and try to play him as an eight. But, uh, but yeah, I do think that the, that those two spots are going to be sort of the most the heavy the most heavily contested spots uh, in the pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to re as a refresher, we've got uh, a likely the likely two starters at the eight are McKenney and Musa, and then Adams would be the six behind them, but he has plenty of eight eight-ish qualities and and Musa can play as a six so there's a lot of interchangeability there same I mean McKenney can do that, that stuff too uh and then we'd have Leggett as an eight I think he's probably the fourth name in the midfield and then and then it gets a little messy right it's yeah, uh, real Acosta. And if you want to call Acosta the guy, I'm I'm just saying no yeah, one's calling, call, call, calling him the November. guy. I'm not calling him the guy. I'm not calling him the guy. I'm I think it's pretty squishy. Yeah. I think it's pretty squishy and and like you said, Acosta and Delatore suddenly look like viable options there. That doesn't mean they are the, you know, fifth and sixth names on the list. And if we need 10 names, you know, there's room. There's room for that. There's room for some of these guys to break in. So, so Number one player, speaking of sixes, six, eight hybrids, number one player who's ready to break into the national team picture in Major League Soccer this season, Michael Bradley. <laughs> Masterclass down in Orlando. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, there's been, there was a lot of talk on Twitter.com about this last night. Um, what did you think? I did not watch that game. You watched it. What did you think of Bradley? 
Well, so I didn't watch the games, and and now I'm in a I'm in a bit of a bind because you actually booted me off of Y Scout. Don't tell anyone, please. And but we we share a Y Scout account uh, <laughs> that might violate some Y Scout rules. Uh, so I only got to see him through like the first 50 minutes of the game yesterday. Uh, but I'd heard about how well he played, so I was going and expecting this masterclass, and it wasn't really that much of a masterclass. It was a uh, it, I, I thought what happened was it was notable how much ground he was covering relative to how much ground you would expect Michael Bradley to cover. Uh, and I think that got a lot of people's attention. I thought he was mostly fine. Um, but I, I think, if anything, it kind of says how narrow of a position he had he's played in the past couple of years. That this is sort of the game that people are, if, if people are going to point to this game as being like a revelation. Um I don't know. I mean, again, I'm someone who's not going to write off anyone at any point. So when we're talking about how squishy the 6-8 position is, if Michael Bradley is playing as like this true box-to-box 8 again, like like back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, and he's doing it well, then sure, again, that bar for that fourth spot is is pretty low. I don't, I'm don't. i not ruling him out of that if, if he's showing an ability to do it. Uh, I'm not super um, – I don't particularly expect that he will do this at a really high level uh, to cover this much ground every game. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not ready to leapfrog him over a bunch of other players in that squishy depth chart. Well, before we get into the dreamscape of young players who, you know, are sort of like, that's, that's the scuffed podcast playground. Uh, (laughs) let's go, let's talk, let's really talk about Bradley a little bit. Like, is there, do you think there's a chance he, he gets to play in some of these world cup qualifiers and is there any reason he shouldn't? Um, I don't, I really don't think there is much of a chance. I, I don't, the only reason he shouldn't is because he's not good enough to, mm. uh, and, or he's not the right fit of the kind of player. And, uh, you know, the player he's been the past three years for, for me does not fit into the, the Berhalter system at all anymore. Uh, since, since we sort of shifted to a much more aggressive defensive stance. Yeah. Uh, so, so the only way it does is if he reinvents himself, re reinvents himself, I guess you'd say into the player he was in from 2000, six to 2012 to 2000 maybe maybe going into the 2014 world cup before he kind of had an injury setback uh i don't think there's a place for him if he's just gonna sit in the deep spot and spray balls around yeah i gotta say i worry a little bit about his fit uh culturally with this new guard you know to i'm all i'm all for you know raw masculinity but the (laughs) but like you know, the, his reputation is like he's sort of an alpha and he comes in and he kind of like tries to run things or does, or just like naturally that's his way of interacting with people is by bossing them around. And I don't know, man, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want that coming in, him coming in and trying to boss around Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. And, and they're, they're young guys, you know, they're, they're still young, impressionable guys. Like... <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that becomes a, a negative influence in some ways. I don't know. It, it, it's it like worries a, it's me. A total. It's a total like uh, contrast between Sebastian Legette, the cool uncle coming in, coming yeah. into the locker room and like just just going along with things, and Burhalter coming in and, and or I'm sorry, Bradley coming in and uh, saying this is the way it is. Toxic Thanksgiving uncle. Toxic Thanksgiving uncle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know, man. We're yeah, we're we're definitely into like uh, a combination of speculation and and rumor <laughs> and hearsay uh, for, for what Michael Brad like just saying Michael Bradley's not a guy who would who would sort of disappear into the into the leadership background. 
I don't think he would. I can't imagine that where he'd just be like, okay, you guys, you know, I'll just take a back seat. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's get into there the we list. Go. We're Bradley sort of not officially on the list. <laughs> right. But definitely on, on, this, on this up and coming list of up and coming MLS <laughs> players. Michael Bradley's not quite fitting that description. Nope. But but here there are here there are some names who do fit the description, and I think also have to admit here, Concacaf Champions League is ongoing, and players who are active in that are you know higher in the mind than players who are not. So again, that's going to be a factor here. First name I've got is Eric Williamson, the Portland Timbers central midfielder, famously left off the Olympic qualifying roster. They were talking about it on all the radio talk shows. Um, He's he looked quite good earlier this week against uh, twice. He looked good twice, right? Both games. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, the one I paid more attention to was the more recent one against Marathon, and uh, you know he he created a lot of chances. He's composed. I mean, very almost like casual, so casual in a way that I like. Sort of got that a little bit of that Keaton Parks vibe, where it's like he doesn't <laughs> languid. Languid is the word I think you use. There you go. Um, it's that combination of confidence and, and, and being so casual because you just know you can do yeah. it. You know, you're, you're about to pull this right. off. You've- it bit him a couple times, but, uh, <laughs> but they did win the game, uh, running away. It's just stepping past guys with the ball. Uh, very smooth, uh, broke. I think was able to break down the opponent in the middle of the park pretty easily. I could see him competing with Kellen Acosta for a spot for minutes, in qualifying if he keep you know if if he continues to look this good i'm not i'm not an expert on the opponent in that game so i don't know if they're just like really really bad but well crank cranks uh threw out a couple of clips of him uh and and i was impressed with not just his his ability on the ball but his his ideas off the ball uh manipulating space whether it's moving forward moving backward uh or side to side so that's that's all the directions you can move. You rarely move up or down uh, to yeah. to manipulate opponents. But it, but he he was doing those things really well. And again, it's just that it's it's a nice contrast to what we saw in Olympic qualifying, where there were there were very few ideas and how to do that to sort of see those laid out was really good. Uh, Watke had the definitive, I think, tactical breakdown of Williamson mm-hmm. uh, over the la- over those past two legs. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, find that and watch it and just reflect on on Williamson and what he can contribute in your own mortality. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it really is going to be interesting to see whether or not Burhalter just flat out doesn't rate the guy because again, he's been in a couple of camps or at least one Burhalter camp. Is it just one? I think it's just one, but uh, don't quote me on that. Okay. But in, in January did not make the, yeah, I think that's right. He was left off in December because he'd just been injured in the, in the MLS, uh, playoffs, uh, and maybe that was still a lingering issue in January because he did not make the final match day roster uh, for the friendly. So it's it's one of those things where it's just like with Abobase, like maybe Berhalter just doesn't rate him, doesn't think that what he brings uh, helps the team enough. And I don't know, man, maybe I don't know if he has a way into the squad at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, Berhalter's been pretty, I think he's been open to changing his mind on players, you know, I mean, Legit is one example. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'll be keeping an eye on Williamson. I know a lot of people are really high on him. Uh, people we respect, and he did look good. Well, if, he did look good. And if nothing, if nothing else, every Williamson success he has this year will be another like knife in the Olympic qualifying failure's heart. Yeah. 
Yeah, boy, that's <laughs> that's it makes it more depressing. And speaking of Watke, man, that is those videos he makes are like he's in he's invented a, a genre. It's real. It's remarkable. The the um. I mean, there's there's some precedent. And have you ever heard of John Boy? John Boy Media. Yes. So of course. That, so those are like it's kind of like that, but but Watkies are more winsome somehow. You know. <laughs> really something it's good i'm looking forward i mean every every every, like uh every video he releases is a masterpiece but i'm looking forward to his like opus his whatever whatever he's putting together uh i'm sure he just his vision's incredible yeah it's good he would have been number one on this list if if uh (laughs) if we'd really wanted to do it right (coughs) he's going to contribute contribute more than any one player uh to the to this world cup cycle yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun to watch uh Number two. But as, as far as players go, number two is Aiden Morris. Yeah. I got to say, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm affected by Susayeta on this, and Susayeta is really high on Morris. But I, I'm, I'm really interested in his development. Still very inexperienced. We definitely need more data. But I think he's kind of underrated in the intelligentsia for his work on the ball. And, I mean, he's very secure, difficult to dispossess. And yes, he's mostly safe with his passing, but it's it's not sort of claustrophobic, you know, which you get with can get with some young players. And defensively, he is outstanding. He's the he's the prospect who most closely mirrors Tyler Adams for me. Just very responsible, committed to covering ground, snuffing out danger. He's a good athlete and really strong in the tackle. I think argue, arguably stronger in the tackle than Adams was at this stage of his career. Y Scout has Adams winning 45% of his duels in his last season for New York. Morris won almost 60% of his duels last season. It's a small sample size, of course, but it matches the eye test. He, he does tend to come away with the ball. And I'm excited about the way he'd fit in a national team lineup. You know, I, as, as usual, I'm getting ahead of myself, but <laughs> the way he'd fit and play a complementary role behind uh, McKenny Musa or Legette or maybe even Adams you know I mean I think he I think he brings a he brings a lot of solidity to a midfield and I'm excited about him well and again that that door I feel like is is totally wide open if, if he can if he can uh, fill in behind Adams you right. know because some of the guys that we were uh, wondering if, if they'd be stepping into that job uh, did not shine down in Guadalajara whether it's we're talking about Johnny Cardoso uh, or Perea um, so again, at this point, the, the guy to beat out is probably Jackson Ewell potentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and Aid Morris feels like a very different player than Jackson Ewell and probably feels more of a kind to uh, Tyler Adams, as, as he said. So, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's interesting. So for me, Aid Morris is going to be more along the lines of like, uh, Brian Reynolds. Uh, I feel like he's in that class where we don't have very much data on him. We didn't have a lot with Reynolds and then suddenly he's, he's selling for 10 million to Roma. Right. Uh, Whereas Williamson for me feels more like the Brendan Aronson track where Brendan Aronson, we had a year of him going into, you know, 2020, he'd already played for a year in 2019. And then we get that real like breakout year in 2020. And then he moves for 6 million to Salzburg. So I feel like we're kind of going to be talking about these guys, uh, in this list as either being like Reynolds types or Aronson types. Uh, and Morris feels like he could, he could be a guy who could be a Reynolds type. Yeah, I mean, if he puts together, you know, if he stays healthy all season and gets, you know, a start every other game, I don't know if that's even possible because of the log jam at, in midfield at, at Columbus. But, you know, a full season of of action would put him more, I think, in the Aronson category. But 
right now he's definitely in the Reynolds category. Yeah, and, and just like Reynolds, he he just has a player, a couple of guys in his way on the depth chart. So Reynolds had to wait for Cannon to be sold yeah. to get into that starting eleven, and and I think it's going to be the same with Morris. He doesn't have a clear way into the eleven yet, and it doesn't feel like uh, Columbus is going to be selling either of its center mids the way SC Dallas was looking to unload rent, uh, Cannon. Yeah, I feel like there could, and I feel, feel like there could be whole books written about this subject, but. And maybe there are. I just haven't read them. But, uh, you know, Morris is, is a physically dominant midfielder. I think I think it's physic- he's physically impressive and, you know, has the potential to be dominant physically in MLS. He looks that way when I watch him play. And there's, like, you know, this idea, this much-discussed idea of the Jackson Newell type who is not physically dominant but, like, can disguise his passes and maybe hit diagonals, although that's a little bit debatable with Newell. Um but like, which one is better? You know, which kind of which kind of number six is better? I think is a really interesting question because because you see with Morris that he you know he's not he's not hitting like huge passes with a lot of range, but still managing to sort of like help his team control the game. And I I don't know I don't know. I I I, I tend to think. I tend to think it's sort of the falsest of dilemmas okay. uh, to to think that you know the other end of the of the technical spectrum is athletic. Like it's a it's again it's a it's a quadrant where you have technical and and athletic up on the top right, and you have not technical and not athletic down on the bottom left. Yeah. Uh, and and you know I I don't I don't know what Morris's passing range is or how it compares to Ewell's at the moment because we just need to watch him play more. And again, we don't know what he's being asked to do uh with his ball distribution um you know you don't want this guy turning the ball over constantly we have darlington nagby on the team who never who you can feed the ball to and know that he never turns it over so uh you know it's just what role is he being asked to play what role could he play for the national team if he's going to play that role uh and we will we'll just wait for his gold his inevitable gold cup call up and evaluate him then sweet yeah, I hope that's the case. I hope he I hope he performs well enough to get that call up. Number three, George Bello. Left back for Atlanta United. Want me to just launch? Feels, Go ahead. Feels like an inevitable Gold Cup call up as well. Yeah, and I think he's he's a player who who really benefits from the position he plays in this discussion because there's still plenty to criticize, especially his one v one defending. I think he's gotten bambied quite a bit in his first two matches of the year in CONCACAF Champions League. But the bottom line is he's still a high-quality prospect, and he plays a position where the door is wide open for someone to step up and stake a claim. And he plays for a coach. I didn't know this until recently. Uh, I mean, I knew who the coach was. Gabriel Henze. Is that how you say it? Henze? I'm not Uh, sure. It's it's spelled like the ketchup with an E on the end. But he's from Argentina, who seems really serious about defending and himself played left back for the biggest clubs in Europe in the middle of the aughts, PSG, Man United, and Real Madrid. So that's a good guy to learn from. And Bello has always been praised for his teachability, including on this podcast by his, uh, by his former USL coach, whose name escapes me at the moment. So there. All right. So there we, so there we go. Bello is, is hoping to break through that, uh, much lower uh, window, much lower ceiling, we should yeah. say, uh, at left back because it's just again, it's just so so artificially lowered because there are only literally like six existing American left backs in the world at the moment, right? And one of them is Sam Vines, 
who I think a lot of people had as the number two behind Robinson. And um, he maybe still is, but he's not, he didn't go into Olympic qualifying and like plant a flag on the moon with his performance there. <laughs> well, it's tough, man. There, there can really only be one next Marcelo. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so this is like one of the things that makes me mad about Twitter. I'd never said George Bella was the next Marcelo. I said he's the he's the closest thing we have to a Marcelo type, which everybody who criticizes me for calling him the next Marcelo is smart enough to know the difference between those two statements. So this is a bad faith. This is a bad faith thing. Tie. Final third. Dis- disagree. Disagree. This is this is stuck to you for life. Um should we go to number four? Yeah, let's do that. Let's go to number four. Pax. Number four, I feel like, is a reach to include on this list, but go on. Pax and Pomacall. And I think he's got the talent to push for one of those spots at the eight. Uh, in fact, he'd be a fantastic fit as a more or less like-for-like Musa replacement. But he's just got to get healthy and stay there. That's all. That's all on Pomacall for me. Yeah, I guess it's not it's not too much of a reach to have him on the list because he missed the whole season and he's essentially really only had the one full MLS season that he played as a as a real contributor. Uh, so that was enough for me to be like, oh, he's, we can't really call him up and coming, but uh, we still really haven't seen him uh, certainly make the national team any national team breakthrough because of the missed year. Um, no. So yeah, so we're we're basically just saying, will he get healthy and will he maintain the level of play that had us so excited? through 2019 and i guess if we're being realistic even if he is healthy and playing at a high level is it wise for the you know for berhalter to call him in for the gold cup and like considering he could there's a there's precedent for him to just get injured again and then be out for another two years you know maybe he should be treated with kid gloves by all involved i don't know no, I, I don't want that. I want him to get called in because if you if you can't call him in for this, then that's then you're basically saying we we just can't bring it. We can't use him. Uh, I think I feel like we got to find out if if we can use him. This isn't like a I don't know. I don't I don't know the, enough of the particulars of his injury, but uh, you know you could you could bring him into camp and use him sparingly or or evaluate in camp how much you can use him. But we got to find out if he can play if if he's going to have a national team future. And Gold Cup is basically the last chance to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move to number five. His teammate Tanner Tessman. You're the you know you're the leader of the the Tessman <laughs> contingent. Uh, he he's going to be very much in the in the Brendan Aronson uh, pathway where he was a he was a on and off starter last year. Uh, so this would become his second sort of full season, and that's what Aronson Aronson moved after his second full season. So the question here is going to be: Does Tanner Tessman go from like a a prospect whose name you know to like a prospect who you're eager to see make a $6 million move to a champions league team. Yeah. And, and by, from the rumors we're hearing like Burhalter rates Tessman quite a bit. Okay. Jason, Jason Christ less so, but Burhalter really seems to like him. And again, that squares with Tessman making it onto the, onto the match day roster for the January camp friendly. Uh, And, and now again, it's just about watching him to see if he really does, elevate his game and become like an MLS best 11 player in, in just his second season. I'd love to see the text messages between Burhalter and Kreis after the game. Can we get those? Can we get those from a, with a freedom of information act request? I don't think so. Uh, 
what, what, again, what's funny about this is Tessman might not even be a starter for FC Dallas. So while I'm talking about him being MLS best eleven, like is he is he even uh, is he nailed on to their starting eleven? Lucci hates America. That's all I know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it is it is. Uh, it seems there's there's a lot of veterans who seem like they're in line to get a lot of the minutes in Dallas. So. Yeah, this this list could have been six FC Dallas players, and all six of them would be fifty fifty to be uh, starting by the third week of the season. Yeah, as it is, it's three FC Dallas players. <laughs> um, the next one's not an FC Dallas player. This is one that that Greg insisted I put on the list. Uh, Gianluca Busio. Yeah, this is total bait. This is me just making be- Bells admit that he hates Buzio the same way he hates Gio Reyna, the same way he hates Brendan Aronson, and and I want him to just have to put it on the record. I hate the word hate in this context so much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think Buzio is... It's hard for me to see him fitting with the national team. I know he a lot of people rate him, and you know, he's... He's gonna score some bangers probably this season. He's got a like a he's got a thunderbolt for a right foot, and he's and he does make some nice plays as a playmaker now and, then, and you know he, sometimes he plays as a six for Kansas City. He did that mostly last season, right? A deep lying midfielder spreading the spraying the ball around. But I just don't you know I don't see him as athletic enough to be one of those midfielders for the national team. I know you don't necessarily agree with that, but. Like he's not an he's not an athlete on the level of Musa or McKenney or Adams or even Pomical, I don't think, or Leggett. He's just, he just moves a little slower, and it could be he's just just because he's been so young. I also don't see him as like a. I mean, you see him as a tucked in winger, right? That's what he could be. Well, I, I honestly am not sure yet. Uh, unlike with Aronson, where I feel like you know we we pretty much moved on to him having to just be the winger rather than the center mid. Uh, I'm not sure on Buzio, but I feel like his, he's versatile enough and he is flexible enough. Uh, and we're seeing that with Sporting Kansas City too because he kind of plays as like a 10 for them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what our wingers will often play as. So he could play in that sort of 10 role or he could play, in my mind, as that pressing eight uh, or even potentially if he if he really settles in as and gets minutes as that sort of deeper player, he could be uh, a potential six. So it's it's sort of like uh, he's he's a bit of a blank canvas. Yeah, I have to admit it's all possible, you know. So, <laughs> and I and I you know I will be paying attention, of course. And, and it's just like with Tessman; he might also not even be a, st- a starting player for Sporting Kansas City. Right. Uh, it, it does seem like Vermes really likes him and is really invested in him though i think you know vermes used to get a lot of crap for not playing eric palmer brown do you remember those days when eric palmer brown i do but he's you know he's somewhat redeemed himself in that i think should have redeemed himself with that crowd because he's been he's been patient and committed to busio's development i think that's fair to say i'll i'll take it i mean we he had ike opara and matt beasler running center backs for a while so it's not like a it's it's not like he had a bunch of uh, washouts for center back. Yeah, I, I'm not saying the criticism about EPB was totally justified. I'm just saying there was definitely some criticism back then. That you know, in our very small world, I'm talking about this stuff like it's this national conversation. And it's really like <laughs> 17 people talking about it. Um, number seven, Ricardo Pepe. I'm like we mentioned earlier. I'm not super optimistic that he's going to get a ton of minutes. Uh, at least, or at least a ton of starts, he'll probably get minutes. 
but he is the big upside young domestic striker now that Barnsley legend Daryl DK appears headed off to Europe <laughs> permanently. So if anyone is going to break out and be that combination of contributing in the buildup and able to get on the end of chances, it's going to be probably him. That's what it feels like to me is that out of all the sort of MLS strikers now, now that DK has gone, that sort of MLS Hydra, uh, I, I feel like he is the, the one with the most potential. So, so for him, I, I mean, he had very good underlying stats last year. Uh, and so we're just waiting for, to see if the sample size sort of catches up to him, uh, or if he can maintain it over, over another thousand minutes. Uh, he, what, he didn't have a thousand minutes last year. Did he? I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I don't think so. No. No, so because that's where you start to say, okay, right, he's he's doing it reliably. Uh, so we're waiting for him to sort of get to that thousand minute milestone. Uh, and and I don't I don't know if he's going to get minutes right away, but the hope is going to be that he, you know, puts himself on the field and is it's impossible to leave him out of a lineup if you're trying to make your strongest FC Dallas lineup. Okay, yeah, yeah, and it's not like you know, so I don't think Sargent and DK are in like our bad options of course i like both of those players a lot so it is gonna it's a little bit of a high bar because zardis is um you know you gotta imagine zardis is in that top three somewhere i don't know what the situation is with josie altador but he's you know he exists in this (laughs) in this player pool so i mean peppy's gonna have to be really good to break in um i guess but you know he's 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 got a chance he's got a chance of that yeah, that, he's gonna Pepe's gonna have to produce. I think. I think he's gonna need goals. It seems like Jesus Ferreira is a, is another guy who we're not putting on our list, but uh, who Burhalter seems to rate. Yeah. Uh, it's again, it's hard to tell with all the different uh, restrictions placed on call ups over the last two years. But uh, it's it seems like Pepe is going to need to like again force his way into the conversation with with getting on the the stat yep. sheet. Yeah, top line stats goals <laughs> number eight. Kate, this guy's had no problem getting on the stat sheet. Caden, yeah, sorry, some jump jumping. Yeah, all please over do. Uh, yeah, go ahead. He he scored a couple of a couple of bangers late in the MLS season. Um, what else? What else you got on Clark? So on Clark, what I have is that he also is super limited sample size. So again, we're in Brian Reynolds territory here, and uh, you know the goals were fantastic. Yes. Uh, he gets himself in a good spot. He seems to have a, a cannon of a strike on him. Both feet. Uh, but he's also say both again, feet. One of the one of those bangers was with his left foot. So, but we're very much going to have to see if if his expected goals uh, catches up to him because you know those those bangers aren't something you can necessarily reliably hit. There aren't too many players who reliably uh, score those chances. Uh, when we were talking about Ricardo Pepe, it was his underlying numbers that are super impressive. And so we just have to wait to see if, if like the sample size, uh, is, is sort of fooling us there with Caden Clark. It's like his, his, I mean, he's, he's fine. He's doing fine. He's not like he's doing poorly, but the goals that get everyone's attention aren't necessarily repeatable the way, the way he was, you know, getting them in those super limited. Right. Right. Another thing about I love how we're another, we're having a super like hype like we're we're doing a hype list episode and all I'm doing is throwing cold water on every single name. I'm I'm happy with it so far. The uh, the other thing about Caden Clark is he's very uh, he's a good fit at least on paper for one of those tucked in winger jobs. Uh, now he would have to again it's much like Pepe he'd have to really really produce for New York to get uh, you know to make a serious push to be a serious contributor. 
outcome World Cup qualifying, but it's possible, you know. And yeah, it's possible he could blow up. It's possible he could have. Uh, I want. I want to say like a Jordan Morris level of st- statistical production. Morris didn't. Morris's year in 2019 came out of nowhere. I mean, he missed all of 2018 uh, with an injury. His 2017 wasn't particularly good yeah. uh, statistically. Um, so this none of these things would be unprecedented that you could have that kind of year and immediately lock yourself into the fringe. Yeah, <laughs> you can definitely lock yourself into the fringe of the national team. Uh, within a year, and Clark is a Clark is a is kind of a ten, so he so he can he would be comfortable in those that half space, receiving the ball and and doing stuff. And he can definitely press. He can he can get up there. And from what we understand, he's heading to he's headed to Leipzig come January of of next year. Anyway, so he's got one year of MLS left, and then he's off to Leipzig. And the question is whether he jumps right in the way Tyler Adams did, uh, or it's more of like a Joe Scalliad. Gladbach situation where he's just going to settle into the reserves for, for a while. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Joe, speaking of NYCFC, our last name. So this is a nice odd number. Nine names to look for in the MLS season is James Sands. Now he's not a Berhalter favorite, but he is a good defending, destroying midfielder who is uh, safe if unspectacular on the ball. I think it's very unlikely that he breaks in, but but it's possible. <laughs> that's like the that's yes, like the catch line for the for the whole episode. Sands is like Pomacall, but without any of the hype that Pomacall had in 2019. Uh, missed most of 2020 with a injury. I mean, he kind of just missed the last. I don't remember when he when he got second injured, half of the season leg, or something. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So missed the back half of the season after firmly firmly establishing himself as a starter for New York City, uh, a decent New York City side. So so again, he's not just racking up minutes on a on a bad team. Uh, he's an important piece on a good team, uh, and just really hoping that James Hands and Keaton Parks can do the same thing and maybe get a little bit more love this year from U.S. Soccer. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of names here, a lot of names omitted here that people are going to wonder why and ask us about. So I, I, I have an honorable mention list that I want to plow through kind of quickly and explain why I don't think they have that great of a shot of, <laughs> of contributing in this World Cup cycle. Uh, first one. So hold on. So hold on. If, if the tagline for the, for the first nine was anything can happen, like probably not, but, but who knows, then what's the tagline for these guys? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But who knows more <laughs> yeah Pro- the tagline for the first ones was what now probably not but who knows <laughs> i think you said probably not but who knows yeah uh the tagline for these guys is like even less of a chance i guess <laughs> but we're still excited that's what's wild about it this is this is how much the picture has changed that these guys have very little chance of being on the on a roster at any point even even despite the uh the bulk of qualifying games, uh, but we're still excited to watch them. Like I'm excited to watch this first guy that you're about to talk about. Yeah, no, I mean this, this is not to say that they aren't good soccer players or won't be, uh, you know, fantastic soccer players. Or if we had a different coach, that they couldn't, uh, you know, break into the national team in a different system. But the first one is Kate Cowell. There's a lot of buzz around him, a San Jose player, and he does look, you know, in the immortal words of Bill Walton, looks the part of a full grown man. I haven't seen him in the locker room the way Walton did uh, LeBron James, but do you remember that? That was so funny. <laughs> no. Walton didn't mean it. No, Walton didn't mean it as double entendre, but it 
sure came out that way. Uh, when LeBron James was still in Akron, you know, uh, not even drafted yet. Uh, anyway, anyway, moving right along. Uh, so he plays as a wide forward for Matias Almeida in San Jose and seems poised for a big step forward from the 16 appearances, appearances, one goal, one assist he got in 2020. Problem is, he is not a good fit for really any of the front three roles in Berhalter's system. Don't you think? I haven't seen anything suggesting that he would want to come into the half space and operate as like a Gio Reyna style 10. Right. I mean, or, or Pulisic even. Pulisic doesn't necessarily play like a 10 when he gets in there, but he's totally comfortable receiving the ball and then doing a bunch of crazy Pulisic shit with it. Cowell, Cowell seems like he wants to use the sideline as sort of protection yeah. to receive it out there and then like trick a guy to blow past right. him. Is, is that That's fair? totally fair. That's I think that's what he does. And he's like, he's he's much more of a Jordan Morris than uh, Brendan Aronson. He, I don't think he's comfortable at all receiving the ball in traffic. And, um, you know, he could end up forcing his way into the picture by just dominating MLS, you know, doing, like you said earlier, having a Jordan Morris level year, Jordan Morris in 2019 level year. But uh, it's not a, it's a square peg and a round hole when it comes to the national team for him, I think. Right. And, and kind of like what you said, it, I don't even want this to come off as criticism saying he can't operate in that half space or anything. It's uh, it's just more like he, he doesn't need to, to be a successful soccer player. No. He just might need to, to, you know, to play successfully for the U.S. men's national team in this current cycle. Yeah, I mean, there's every reason to believe he's going to use that that sideline as protection and then turn outside backs to powder throughout this season. You know, I mean, it's uh, he's I think he's he's probably going to have a good year. Number 11 I had to put him off the list. So not really number 11. This is just another honorable mention. I had to take him off the list at, at Greg's insistence. Dave, David Ochoa, who went from hero to goat, the bad kind of goat at the Olympic qualifying tournament. But I think he's, I still think he's a big personality goalkeeper who can distribute with his feet. And if he can win the starting job in Salt Lake, he could edge his way into the picture. Greg, what's your response to that? <laughs> so my response here is for David Ochoa to work, even even if he works his way into the picture, we're talking about working his way into the picture as like the third string goalkeeper yeah. for the national team, uh, which which you know for for me carries like much less weight than the than the fourth number eight. So as even even as tedious as we're getting with our with our rosters, uh, like the third string keeper here means very little to me. And and Ochoa doesn't, as far as I know, sound like he's won the San the Salt Lake job yet. Uh, and no guarantee that he ever will. Uh, so he just feels like more of a reach because it's different. You know, Kate Cowell doesn't have to win a starting job for San Jose to rack up a lot of appearances for San Jose. We've seen Jonathan Lewis uh, play a lot despite never being a starter. If David Ochoa is not the starter, he's he's not playing. Right. I mean, that's it's the world of goalkeepers. Yeah, the goalkeeper's dilemma, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm really rooting for him and hope he can. Hope he can overcome the Andrew Putna dominance in at Real Salt Lake, but like you said, no guarantee, no no evidence to say that he will right now. I haven't, you know, I haven't checked with the Real Salt Lake beat writers, but <laughs> all right, let's let's talk about some recency bias picks. Anthony Fontana looking very bright for Philadelphia right now, and has been was a Golazzo machine last year in the COVID shortened season. Again, it's just hard to see. So, I mean, he he's going to score goals for Philly. I think Philly Philly looks like they're going to be a good team this year. 
but it's just hard to see him fitting in either role for Burhalter up front. I mean, maybe he could be an eight, maybe like a legit type of eight. I don't know. Um, but he's not going to be a, a tucked in winger, I don't think. And I don't think he's a pure number nine who drops in and, and uh, you know, contributes in the buildup. It's kind of the same as Kate Cal. You know, if he comes out and has like 15 goals, five assists by June, that would be a lot. Uh, that's a crazy <laughs> number. Um, let's say 10 goals, 10 goals, three assists by by June, something like that. Then I'm thinking it might, it might change the, the equation a little bit, but he doesn't seem like a good fit. Yeah, that's, that's the same thing for me. He, he's not an Aronson type. He doesn't play the same way Aronson plays. Uh, so it's hard to see. It's hard to visualize how he'd play. But uh, but again, we have we we blend positions uh, pretty frequently with the national team. Um, so so I think I think we've said a lot of times probably not. But who knows? <laughs> there are a lot of other names who are exciting and uh, worth watching. Cole Bassett in Colorado. Moses Nyman is a huge upside as a midfielder at DC. Miles Robinson at Atlanta United. I think he is pretty close to the picture. Don't you think, Greg? Yeah, yeah. And and again, that's where we get into like what is what what is even the criteria? What's the cutoff for up and coming? Miles Robinson already has an MLS All Best Eleven season uh, to his name. So uh, you know, Sam Vines. We can't really. I feel like it's not. You wouldn't call him an up and coming player, right? I don't want to get too hung up on that. Players who can't, <laughs> players who are not currently in, like firmly in the picture, who could be in the picture come September. There we go. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's Paxton Aronson, Brendan Aronson's younger brother, Frank Yamaya, and Cameron Harper at Red Bull in New York. Edwin Cerillo, another possible six at FC Dallas. Yeah, and and I'm sure I'll I'll put together a, a crib sheet for everyone so that. They can just at a glance see which teams have which U.S. relevant players, uh, because because again that that's where we are where there are so many that there's no way to really uh, narrow them down with any any real specific criteria or you or your criteria has to be incredibly specific. Yeah. Well, I so everything we've just done. I think my list my list of nine is bulletproof. So <laughs> thank you very much. I just I I just entertained it for the for the fact that you let me put Busio on it. Once you put once you let me do that, then I was like, all right, anything else you can do what you want, Bells. But you're gonna have to answer for your crimes. All right, I think that's it. I mean, it is exciting. MLS season starts tomorrow night. We're recording on Thursday afternoon. Friday night is when the first game kicks off. And man, there's gonna be a lot more soccer to watch. That'll be fun. It's gonna be so fun. We're gonna have afternoon soccer we've got evening soccer every almost every day after that NWSL's challenge cup is going on so there's games every few yeah. days for them uh it's it's an insane amount of soccer to be watching and it's fantastic for super nerds like us and by the way we're f- we're less than 45 days from the camp the nation's league camp so <laughs> it's not that far away do you have do you have a little calendar that you're putting X's on? No, I just uh, leading up to I the, just know that it's I just know that it's April fifteenth and that the first game is on June third. So I assume they're going to be getting uh, together before the actual game. Um, bells, bells are they're playing on May thirtieth against Switzerland. Okay, so it's in in Europe. Well, shame on me. It's uh, <laughs> we're like forty days from. You don't camp. have to do the math here. You don't have to. You don't. I'm not going to make you do that calendar math. And by the way, Nations League. The Nations League 
Final Four is going to take place in Denver, Colorado. We saw earlier today that announcement made by CONCACAF. Uh, that re- and go-, go ahead. And the Gold Cup final will be in Las Vegas, just down oh, the road. Yeah, that's right. It was reported that uh, on Twitter by I f- forget the name of the guy who did it. Uh, he used to write for Yahoo. Before that, ESPN. Oh, geez. Before that, ESPN. He's big. He's big time. Anyway, he said U.S. soccer is not happy about the choice of Denver as a location for the Final Four of Nations League because it's at uh, altitude, and the games are like what four days apart. Yeah. So I've I've seen some people uh, saying that that gives Mexico an unfair advantage. Uh, if it if it does, I don't know that it does give Mexico a competitive advantage because some of their players play in Mexico City. Even if it does. Uh, then I feel like that's useful to for us to play in because that will exist for a couple of qualifying games. So if nothing else, the whole point of this is a rehearsal for qualifying windows. Berhalter has said as much. That's why we are playing Switzerland on the 30th, so we can get through those, uh, go through those motions of play a game, fly, play a game, fly, play another game. So even if that does give Mexico an advantage, then it's then it's even more important for us to learn how to go through the motions of playing a game at altitude coming off of another game. So I'm actually happy that that's the case. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I like your way of looking at it. Um, I'm not, yeah, who knows who who at U.S. soccer was mad about it, but it, do, it does seem like good preparation. And, you know, the best Mexican players are over in Europe anyway and are not playing at altitude on a regular basis. That's a little bit of an outdated uh, thing, right? This idea that Mexico has this huge advantage when they play in the Azteca. Because of the altitude. I mean, obviously they have an advantage. It's like one of the most fearsome places to play in the world, but (laughs) it's not because of the altitude necessarily. All right. Enough chitter chatter. You good, Greg? Anything else? No, it's a great, great list of players that we've assembled. (laughs) Nine. Precisely nine players. Precisely nine. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you.